The road to consciousness. We will figure out the biggest mystery in human history. How can we have such a rich internal subjective experience of life that's a stream with us from the moment we're born to the moment we die and is so fundamental to everything that we experience but yet not know from the physical workings of the brain how, where or even why it arises. Uh, We're going to do it by putting things into two categories and looking at multiple disciplines for pieces of the puzzle, either in the knowledge category, which is we have some, we have enough data or evidence to say that it's classified as knowledge or make assumptions where we don't have as much data or evidence or um, competing theories where we just have to make assumptions to move forward. Otherwise, we will go around in circles. I think it's a good time to take a step back and probably do a bit of a recap, a bit of a reflection on a lot of things we've talked about and talk a little bit more about the emotional significance theory. The problem we're trying to solve is how can we have this internal experience and where does it come from? And when we mean experience, we really mean experience. But what is experience? It's something that's hard to quantify. It's something that you feel. It's something that's with you and wherever you go, you're having an experience of either what's internal to you or what's external to you. The external environment obviously plays a key role because wherever you are, you're in some sort of spatial region uh, and you are taking in a lot of energy um, from all around you and this is your sensation. We talked about the four stages of consciousness, sensation, perception, experience and meaning. You've got all these senses that's highly evolved to do exactly this. You want to get an understanding of your environment, but also you're listening to your internal uh, self uh, and everything happening within your body. And primarily the goal is is homeostasis, uh, keeping you alive and regulating you so you can have that experience. The next phase, perception, is you're, you're, you're not only having sensations or coming in as inputs, there is a perception you have of... of the flow of time that perception you have helps you then start to piece it together uh, into a unified experience but not quite there the next stage is actually the hard problem of consciousness is how do we go from the physical workings of the brain which takes in all these inputs and stitches it together known as the binding problem to this rich experience that we have the i i use the analogy of the rose a lot it's the smell of the rose is chemicals coming in and entering uh as, through your perception through your sense, senses to your perception but you smell a rose you have an experience of that rose you look at the rose you see the red and you experience the red electromagnetic waves are coming in but you know, they're going to your brain and neurons are, that have bound through synapses are firing, your optical nerve and occipital lobe and all that are kicking in to, to process that information almost. But you then experience the color red. Um, the taste of the hamburger is also my favorite one. We have this experience, like when we eat a hamburger, I, I personally, I, I think I'm I, such a pleasurable experience for me, right? So... That is really the problem we're trying to solve. It's the step function to experience. But there's another phase that I add to it is the meaning phase. I think us as humans have evolved through the evolutionary chain to have this meaning. And a lot of it does happen in our cortexes. But 
we not only experience life, we then apply a sense of self to it, which is an emergent property. We understand how, how that experience translates to us and what it means for, for, for me and all of my previous experiences. Uh, time is also an emergent property. I think we understand time like no other uh, biological uh, system out there we perceive we don't not only perceive time we apply them it emerges as a meaning to us and time is also an interesting thing that we don't exactly know what it is it's just an ingrained experience same as the self being an ingrained experience same as free will being an ingrained experience so this whole thing it revolves around our ingrained experience and a lot of philosophers has talked about this um Thomas Nagel was one of the ones, uh, I believe, in the 80s where he coined the term, it feels like to be something. Humans have an internal like of how it is to be a human or a frog has an internal of how it is to be a frog or a mouse. Like you internally can experience what it's like to be you. I can't experience what it's like to be somebody else. I do not have any insight into it other people's internal experience the only data point i have is my own Uh, so that's also super interesting Uh, we talked a lot about the brains and the brain regions we're not going to go in depth but we do or we i mean collectively we have a very good understanding of which parts of the brain are responsible for which uh, functions uh, we don't have a complete understanding. There is so much to the brain. I'm not, I say about 100 billion, but I should be more accurate. It's about 89 billion neurons in your brain. These neurons work exactly the same way as all the other neurons in other brains out there. I've talked about mice before who have 100 million neurons. The structure and the functions are the same. There are electrical signals going through the neuron, uh, going down the axon, they release neurochemicals through the synapse that have bound to other dendrites of other axons. So there is an interplay of neurons that are basically are giving rise. And the key here is that structurally and fundamentally, it's the same building blocks as what we see out there. So what makes us special? Why do we have or how do we have this level of consciousness? The number seems to play, play a role. The complexity, the number gives rise to complexity. So... 89 billion of them there's a complexity factor of how many they are that allowed us to have such a a rich experience of life um the building blocks principle is very important though just like everything else in the universe and going back to the physicalism realm everything in the universe is based on four fundamental particles up down quark electron and the neutrino so the building block principle applies there as well. The building block principle also applies to our DNA and our genes. There's four base pairs, A, G, C, T, and our three or four billion, I believe it's three billion uh, base pairs that we have in our DNA. It's the fundamental building blocks. So that principle is super key. Um, You can take, and it's a very, like if you were going to design a system, it's a very smart way to do it. Uh, Same with uh, organic chemistry. It's based all on carbon and hydrogens. You take a few building blocks and you can arrange them in so many different ways. So everything in the universe that we see is based on those fundamentals of particle physics. Our life is based on the building blocks and our consciousness, which is the most complicated, I should say complex thing in the universe. So the complexity factor plus the building blocks factor uh, plus a lot of other factors gives rise to consciousness. Now, the, fun, the key here though, we talked about emergence. Something is happening 
at a higher level of the system that we don't see in the, in the individual building blocks. So when we look at neurons, we can, we can see, uh, we can look at the brain, we can put brain uh, EEGs and things like that. Um, and we can understand which part of the brains light up and which neurons are, are, and when neurons bind together in groups, it's called nuclei. So the nuclei uh, performing specific functions we can see which parts depending on which uh, actions people are performing. But that doesn't give us any insight into the actual internal experience that they're having. Uh, and this is the, one of the biggest challenges is we can't actually see it and we can't measure experience. But experience through the emotional significance theory that I've been talking about is everything. Um, and going back and thinking about myself or you or us we start having experiences from the moment we're born and all of those some of those we store as memories but they're based on the emotional significance and i'm i'm uh my, the theory that i'm proposing is that every single experience that you have has an emotional significance and depending on how high that emotional significance is i don't want to try and quantify it because I, i'm not even sure it's quantifiable but let's say it's from zero to 100 depending on how high that emotional significance is you will store it as a memory and when you replay that memory the emotional significance is is part of it so you physiologically will uh, replay that memory as well uh, and if it's emotionally significant to you, again, the meaning phase comes in here. If it means something to you and it's emotionally significant, you'll remember that much more than you'll have any other memory. Uh, I like to use the analogy of walking down the street. Every single thing you do, every experience you have has an emotional significance. So even walking down the street, although it might be low, let's say out of one, zero to 100, it's 10. Um, you probably may or may not remember walking down the street in a week time if you did it today that's because obviously it's a lot more autonomous uh you just know how to do that you know you want to do that and you walk down the street because of a specific goal or wherever you might be going somewhere but if something happens during that time let's say something out of the ordinary and i want to i want to diverge a little bit our brains are essentially prediction machines whether it's at the small scale the micro scale or the macro scale when i say micro scale i'm talking about time so any action you do you have already predicted what you think the outcome is me raising my hand right now or me talking into uh, recording this session i'm already my brain has has an idea that's why when we do the action it, it kind of knows what's next basically and that's what our brains have evolved to do we want to be able to predict what's happening around us again it's a survival mechanism from evolution on the macro scale, though, in the meaning phase, using our prefrontal cortex, because the prefrontal cortex is your logic, your planning, um, forward thinking. That's where the perception of time and self and everything comes into it. I shouldn't say perception. I should say emergence of that. Um, I can think about next week and I can start to try and put myself in a future experience. And that's the key here. Like the, the micro predictions are i'm thinking about the next experience when i as i said when i put my hand down on this table if i do that i already thought about what would happen when i do that i know the prediction is that i'm going to feel something at the base of uh base of my palm uh, 
and I know that there's a sound potentially going to come out. And this is based on everything I've experienced previously. I've done this a few or a lot of times, whether it's on tables or not. And I'm able to use those previous experiences to understand what the next experience is going to be. Uh, and that's why I'm saying it's a, fu a future prediction machine. And then next week as well, I'm thinking about the experience I'm going to have. Uh, I'm going to be going into work uh, or I'm going to be working from home or one of those two. And I can try and put myself in that future experience. Now it's very hazy, obviously, for the future, but the past is just as hazy. Last week, I can roughly remember what I did, but I can't accurately remember every moment of the day. Go back a year and it gets even more hazy. The memories that I do have is, is those emotional significant ones. If they meant something and they were emotionally significant, that experience that I had previously, that's what I'm storing as a memory. So I'm tying everything to experience here. Um, where was I? Right. So even learning, when we learn something, whether it's uh, declarative or non-declarative, which is like semantic or episodal, um, so facts or episodes, again, we will learn much better when there is emotional significance attached to it. And not only that, we'll replay it with an emotional significance. It's just that it's probably small compared to, uh, you know, emotions that are, are a little bit more in terms of happiness or sad, or you really feel something for an experience. Going back to walking down the street, if something happens, you're predicting the future, right? You kind of know what's going to happen. If something out of the ordinary of that experience happens, let's say you see someone you love and you weren't expecting it or you see somebody that you know, then that experience will have a higher emotional significance to you. Uh, maybe it's at 40 now instead of 10. Remember 0 to 100. And you might remember that much more vividly and tomorrow you will probably remember that specifically around that experience. Oh, I bumped into so-and-so. Uh, and again, you might, might be something that you love or care about deeply or you haven't seen for a while. Uh, you know, all of that will increase the emotional significance. If it's a traumatic event and we all have had trauma in our past, some higher than others in terms of the emotional significance, if you're heading towards the 100 range, oh boy, do you remember that? You, it's an ingrained experience in you now and you're not going to forget it easy and you're probably going to remember it for a while. And so this is why it's so hard to, to for our brains our brains are doing exactly what they're geared to do. It's to help us make those predictions to survive. Now, it just so happens that we've evolved to have this rich experience and meaning as humans. And obviously, it helps us process the previous uh, experiences. And then we can try and figure out what to do next with them. We, we, we try and figure out the next meaning for us as well as the next experience. Um, and so that's... The emotional significance theory. Um, it's it's interesting to have come so far to think about the different ranges. There's many other leading theories out there. I'm not claiming this is a leading theory, by the way, but there is leading theories out there. Uh, integrated information theory, which also really talks about the experience. It breaks it up into multiple fa uh, facets of that experience. That also, interestingly, around the information part, is able to mathematically then quantifiable because we do take in a lot of information for every experience. It's crazy. Like we're not conscious of all of them. Our brains wouldn't be able to handle it. <laughs> well, that's all we'll do. Like even at the small level, if we had to like be conscious of every single electromagnetic wave coming in or sound wave coming in or whatever it is, right? 
<laughs> that just wouldn't work. And so we have evolved to be able to abstract all that out, including even at a, at a bit more of a micro level or a macro level, I should say, your heartbeat and all of that. That just happens automatically for us. That's, that's part of the evolution. It's given us this consciousness to be able to experience and apply meaning to life. Um, but integrated information is one of the leading theories and I like it because it, is, it does quant- attempt to quantify each of the experiences we have. Uh, it also stipulates that information is everywhere through the universe. So we talked a lot about panpsychism. Panpsychism is one of my favorite theories that there is a consciousness underlying to everything in the universe, regardless of what it is. This also leans that way because of information specifically. Uh, we talked about global workspace theory, another, another good theory. That's more of a... I would say mainstream maybe theory or down the line theory where we know all the cortexes of the brain, they take in all this information. The thalamus is an interesting, it's a router, but that's more at the perception phase where it takes in all the senses and when you're trying to perceive it, it distributes it across the whole regions of the brain. Um, there is the claustrum, which is the equivalent, but happens after the cortexes have the information and they're able to do their processing uh, and then that kind of, seems to take in all of that experience uh, and so global workspace theory specifies that there is some kind of aggregation that happens during the experience phase that puts it all together and gives rise to consciousness and whether it's a particular region that does that or it's a little bit more distributed uh, it's known as a spotlight theory as well because you're really conscious of a particular thing at a particular time it's not like you're conscious of everything uh, and this is a key point that our experience is unified. Uh, we obviously are taking electromagnetic waves as light uh, and that goes to our occipital lobe. But there's a lot of motor functions happening during our frontal lobe. There's a lot of uh, sensory information in our parietal lobe. That's where our somatosensory is. There's a lot of audio information and sound waves coming in through our temporal lobe. But somehow it all comes together. <laughs> We have a unified experience and I call it a stream of sensation, perception, experience and meaning because it really is a stream. Our experience is not broken up into small chunks. It's not multiple things that we are engaging in. It's just unified. It's all together. And this is called the binding problem. We still don't know how it all binds together so seamlessly and our brains make that correction. And this is why that future prediction is important because it's correcting and we all know that our senses can be deceived. Classically going back to Descartes who analytically was able to apply some of uh, you know methods and we were in the midst of the science revolution or he probably even kicked it off. But he was very skeptical of all the senses and we've all had these things on the internet or around where we understand that our senses can it's not really deceived, it's just as there seems to be some sort of gaps, right? Or, or not what we would expect, I would like to say. And our brain does that correction, essentially, and just puts it all together and gives you this experience. So you basically can have a, such a rich experience. Um, and that's another key aspect here is how is it all unified? Where is it all unified? Why is it all unified? And how does it all work? So those are the two other theories. There's other ones I really like out there. As you can see, I seem to like a lot of theories, but I'm just very passionate about anybody who's thinking about this problem, who's working on this problem. And I think anybody who's doing that has my utmost respect. Uh, I really enjoy also, I'm very passionate about this, like I said. So here's where I'm at currently. The emotional significance theory is not really a theory <laughs> because it doesn't really make a 
good prediction and that's the next phase for this i do lean heavily towards the limbic system obviously the emotional part now limbic system to me is super fascinating uh it's deep within our brain uh it's in the midbrain this is where the emotional learning and memory center lies the hippocampus the amygdala hypothalamus the thalamus a lot of this is part of that limbic system it's known as the fifth lobe or i don't think officially it's a lobe but um it this is where we feel things so strongly when we're talking about love or on the flip side uh sadness or happiness we feel and if we're talking about emotion and emotional significance that significance really that is the center and the hub for it i believe the experience phase is smack bang in that region Uh, and so the step function something in there whether it's the neurotransmitters uh, we know about 30 out of potentially 100 but again these are building blocks these are the chemicals that's exchanged between the synapses and and dopamine and serotonin that you probably heard of give you that sense of of emotion and feeling now emotions are normally associated with the raw neurotransmitters and feelings is what we feel about them (laughs) right we we feel happiness we feel sadness we don't necessarily feel the neurotransmitters or the chemicals right and so i'm excited for the next phase of research around this there's a lot of people now talking more about the problem of consciousness it's i call it the biggest mystery in human history i i believe that we've as the moment we were aware and awareness is 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 one of the definitions out there we don't know exactly where in the evolutionary change we became consciousness all things life may be conscious uh, and going back to single cell prokaryotes and eukaryotes in terms of multi-cell um, they could be at the sensation phase and obviously they don't have consciousness the way we have consciousness i mean ours is pretty much at the end of the spectrum in terms of the ability to have such a rich experience but if you start with a single cell organism a multi-cell and work your way up through the evolutionary chain it could go through the phases and you know some have a very rich perception phase and some are able to perceive the world and and they look like they could be conscious but they're just kind of acting in in the way that they would in terms of perceiving their environment uh, and then experience anything with a limbic system would have some level of experience uh, and will be able to experience emotions and, and some level of feelings maybe not to the degree we do i think we have a very advanced limbic system and then the meaning uh, prefrontal cortex is where the meaning and i think generally cortexes give you some level of meaning uh, but I think the prefrontal cortex as humans is, is fully developed to allow us to have language, collective learning, and obviously we've thrived as a species. So that's where I'm at with all of this. Um, it's been an interesting journey so far. There's so many parts to this, like you're seeing. Um, it's, it's fascinating. We haven't talked about the philosophical aspects here yet. There's obviously a range of ideas that philosophers have been talking about from the Aristotle uh, period which reigned for thousands of years in terms of we have a soul, uh, we have some sort of life force, we have some sort of essence, and that's everywhere as well. Like, it, you know, we know what it's like to be a human based on the soul. Uh, with Cartesian dualism that Descartes kicked off, that the, we haven't even talked about mind-body, but the mind and consciousness is something separate from physical workings of the universe, not just us. And this is where physicalism and based on the scientific revolution, we learned so much more about the physical universe 
that gave us a whole different light on what science is telling us. And science now is classified as knowledge and truth because of the experiments we run, because of the data that we get so many, so many, so many times. And so that puts a more physical and materialist uh, lens to it, that everything is physical and the brain is just physical uh, and the mind. And one day we will figure out how the mind arises from the brain and it's going to be something physical uh, and we will figure it out to idealism that everything is our mind uh, and this is a super fascinating point of view to take uh, skepticism that nothing is real and all of that sort of stuff and we talked about panpsychism where the universe or we have to upgrade physics to include a conscious particle or more that everything intrinsically has some kind of experience regardless of what it is in the universe it has an internal experience that we want to try and uh, get there we talked a little bit about some of the alternate theories we talked a little bit about collective consciousness um, but my assumptions are that there is no collective consciousness that we consciousness is localized to our immediate surrounding i'm not on board with panpsychism yet i'm yet to be <laughs> we'll see we'll see i like that theory so i'm going to keep an open mind there actually i'm keeping my open mind about any everything uh, i know a lot of eastern philosophy do advocate unification that <clears throat> humans are linked in some way <clears throat> that not only that that consciousness and and potentially even god and humans all have an underlying connection I'm going to keep a pretty open mind about that. I, I just mentioned I don't believe in... Uh, um, I don't... I assume collective consciousness is not true. And that's more of the science in me talking. <laughs> so... Um, but, hey, I, I don't want to rule that out either. Mono, mono, dualism versus monoism. Like, there is one unified thing versus two unified things. My assumption is dualism is, is not... No. I'm going to say it's it's not no <laughs> i find it hard to believe that so i'm sticking with the monoism and whether it's unified though or whether it's individual i mean tbd um so yeah emotional significance theory the next stage just figuring out what that actually looks like and the hardest thing when you look at consciousness and talk about consciousness is it's not measurable it's not easily quantifiable we can't see it we can't except for ourselves we can't experience it and we can't even put our finger on it uh, when i say what is experience it's it's just something we know it's not something we can even articulate and that's my biggest worry with all this is that as humans we tend to lean towards using our language and our way that we experience the world to try and describe or understand that experience maybe we're not built to understand the experience not that we weren't meant to be but maybe we're not built to understand the experience maybe our brains are not built to understand the, its own experience which would certainly be a shame and weird but maybe that's just the way it is because everything we do every single thing that has happened in human history has been based on somebody's experience that's it uh, and so if we're not built to understand it well, then we will never will, but it shouldn't stop us from trying because we can't just say, oh, we'll never understand it. We should at least give it our best shot. And this is what I would like to do uh, is to try and understand it. And uh, like I said, a lot of super smart people are working on this and I appreciate all their efforts. I thoroughly enjoy doing what I'm doing and I'm just going to keep doing as best as I can and see where I end up. <laughs>